0: Hey everyone, welcome to Group Text. I am getting to, delve isn't the right word I think, revel is the right word in my crazy true crime junkiness because there are no six words that can strike fear into the hearts of the most wicked criminals out there as, have a seat, I'm Chris Hansen. Just like there are no four words that can send a teenager into submission like I've called your parents. My (laughs) guest today is Chris Hansen, and he is the investigator and is responsible for exposing in the ballpark of 400 men attempting to meet children online for sex. You have won 10 Emmys. This, people don't realize how important it is, five Edward R. Murrow Awards. As well as honors, oh God, this is, it takes a deep breath for excellence in reporting by the Overseas Press Club. His new <laughs> series, True Crime Nation with Chris Hansen, wouldn't it be funny if it was True Crime Nation with someone else? Um, was launched by True Blue Streaming Network last month and takes viewers inside today's most compelling crime stories. Please welcome every criminal's worst nightmare, Chris Hansen. Hi, Chris.
1: Hey, Melissa. How are you?
0: I'm so excited. My Excellent. like. Fangirl junkie, true crime, law and order watching. Convinced I could commit the perfect crime. Personality or at least solve the perfect crime. One of the well, I could do both. <laughs> I could commit it and then solve it because, in general, criminals are stupid. But that's a separate podcast. You know, if you're going to do it, wear gloves or wear two pairs in case oh, yeah. one breaks.
1: And don't go to the bar and talk about it afterwards.
0: Oh well, that's a whole other level <laughs> of stupidity. You know what I did last Saturday? Yeah. And no, anyway,
1: don't tell anyone.
0: Exactly. You've been doing this for four decades, most prominently with Dateline for years, but that's not how it started. How did you start?
1: I lived about a mile and a half from where Jimmy Hoffa was last seen and presumably kidnapped in Bloomfield Township, Michigan, and it was a huge story, obviously, in 74, 75, and and I was 14, 15 years old. And I used to actually ride my bike up to the crime scene. It was at the Red Fox restaurant. And I was fascinated by the FBI agents and the cops and the reporters and the network correspondents who were in. And and I sort of got bit by the bug. The the guy who was leading part of the investigation actually lived in our neighborhood when I was growing up. And so I, I, you know, what I thought was inside scoop then. So when I went off to college at Michigan State, I, I merely signed up for the radio station and, and, and that was the beginning of it and uh, pursued it uh, uh, all these years. You know, it's funny, people ask, Well, what did you do before you were a television reporter? And I said, Well, I only had two other jobs. One was a baker's apprentice, and the other was hauling drywall. Those that's, that's <laughs> are my only two other experiences in life besides being a, a broadcast journalist. But I,
0: I'm, I'm, I, I, your parents had to think it was a little weird that their 14 year old was going up to the Jimmy Hoffa crime scene. I mean, were they, yeah, were they had to be a little worried?
1: Well, we didn't, you know, my mom would say, God bless her soul, in in later years, you know, you never did that. I said, well, there there were a lot of things, Mom, I did that I never told you about. (laughs) So whether or not I did it whether or not you knew about it were two different things.
0: I I would think that would be a a little concerning. Oh, there's that Hanson boy again.
1: I I may not have uh, shared that right away with all my with my folks. But, uh, you know, those days you had a lot of freedom. You you could go anywhere your bicycle took you, you know, it's a different time.
0: When you moved up to like NBC and people know how reporters sort of climb their way up through the different affiliates and stuff like that. You were much more a traditional reporter, but you covered what I know in in our vernacular within the business is called the big pigs. You covered uh, TV 800, Columbine, 9-11, Oklahoma City. Those were huge assignments. And I always I always wonder... What is the first thing you do when you get to the site?
1: Well, you try to not be overwhelmed. I remember getting to Oklahoma City in 1995. I had been at the network for two years. And uh, I was actually in in Pennsylvania, in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, interviewing a guy who admitted to a murder. It was a big story at the time. or It was big, not quite compared to Oklahoma City, but it was big prior to that happening. And I was in the car, the rental car, and I heard from Oklahoma City, all this going on. And I called the office and I talked to one of our senior producers. I said, you know, what do we think there? And they said, well, it sounds like a gas explosion. And I said, it doesn't sound like a gas explosion to me. He said, well, we'll get there then. We, whatever it is, it's big and there's, it's mass casualty. And I took literally four different flights to get there. And I got into Oklahoma City around midnight. And I met my producer and we had already taken over a hardware store in downtown Oklahoma City. And the, we were broadcasting from the roof. And so we had this high, low, this forklift with a pallet on it and, and the forklift driver would you know, raise you up and you'd walk right onto the roof. And I, he brought me up there to look at this. It was just a block or two away and we had a clear line of sight to it. And uh, I just remember being overwhelmed by the casualty, by the damage to the building. And, and, you know, we're still piecing it together, but clearly it was a truck bomb. We knew that. And we knew that, you know, more than a hundred people had been killed maybe as many as 168, which I think was the final number, and many more injured, and that there was a preschool in the basement of the the Murrah federal building. And so what do you do then? You try not to get overwhelmed. You try to go to the hotel and get a decent night's sleep and you get up at five o'clock in the morning and you call everybody you know at the ATF, at the FBI, in local law enforcement, And you try to find good characters who have insight into the story. You know, a lot of the other reporters for NBC and all the other networks were trying to find, you know, the heroes, which is important, the the families of the victims, critical. But my task has always been historically figure out what the hell happened and who did it, where are they, And, and get me the scoop. And so that's how I started. And I was very fortunate in that case to have sources from earlier in my career in Detroit who had been, you know, temporarily assigned to Oklahoma City, or I knew guys in Washington who trusted me to hook me up with guys in Oklahoma City. And so we were pretty quickly able to piece together a scenario and be on the cutting edge of reporting for that very tragic story. But it was, I remember that, you know, what sticks out most to me? My kids are very young at the time. I had two older boys. And two of the victims were Chase and Colton, and my kids are Chase and Connor. And it just, it ripped my heart out that little kids like that could be killed because somebody was pissed off at the federal government and decided to make a name for themselves by jamming a rental truck full of explosives, fertilizer, and diesel oil, and killing all these people. And it it was a sense of loss. It was a sense of outrage as an American. It was a sense of duty as a reporter. And it really was a seminal moment for me because, you know, I've been at the network two years and now I'm standing next to Tom Brokaw live on a Friday night and you had better be good and you had better know what you're talking about and you better make it come out in order. And so it was really a, 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 a very heavy sense of responsibility being out there, but you, you do it and you get it done. And some of this stuff, Melissa, just, it's laying brick. It's like saying, okay, here's all the information. And you sit down with your producer and say, "Okay, let's put it in the right order, and who's going to be on camera?" and And there was a lot of that, and it became very clear a couple of days into it that we weren't going to be through with this story for a long time. And as it turned out, we went on and covered so many different parts of this story, and you know, it took us through the southwest of the United States on the, the you know the search for John Doe number two, he was called at the time, and it took us to Germany for this mysterious outlier, Andrea Strassmeyer, who we tracked down and, and talked to and who allegedly had something to do with it. So it was, it was, you know, it was a year of my life and a year of a lot of other journalists life too, covering that story.
0: How do you convince a network, a, a news organization where things go so fast to allow you to, to spend the money to do these, to, to follow it, not just your instincts, but to follow these leads, which you have to assume some of them don't pan out.
1: Absolutely. And that's a, that's a great question. And at the time, we had a, a great leader at Dateline, Neil Shapiro, who ultimately became president of NBC for a while. And, and we had uh, a supportive ownership in GE. And we had, a, we had a history of performance. So when I went into Neil Shapiro's office and said, during the time when everybody was searching for Andreas Strassmeyer and why was his number and name in Tim McVeigh's pocket, At the time of his arrest, I said to him, look, I think based upon what we know, there's a chance we could find him in in West Berlin, Germany. He said, what do you think the odds are? I said, 60, 40, we find him. And he said, I'm okay with that. But you got, you know, four days. So Tim Ulinger, my producer for that story at the time, and I got on a plane, flew to Germany, got in on a Sunday We had a pretty good idea where he was, and and so we went to that apartment building in West Berlin, and within, I I kid you not, Melissa, within 30 minutes, he walked out of the apartment. I did a 40-minute interview on the sidewalk, and we followed him around the subway to get B-roll. We had allotted four days to do one thing, and it was done in an hour and 10 minutes. So we went, did what all good reporters do, which is find a good German place for lunch and a lot of beer, and celebrated our... (laughs) (laughs) I brought it back home.
0: What did you, did did it ever dawn on you that your instinct, and that's what a lot of it is, is, was better than others?
1: You know, look, we don't talk about the dry holes, right? right? We don't talk about the trips to Maryland to interview somebody and the guy totally stiffs you or uh the risk you take on something but i think it's more dangerous to not take the risk when we did the very first predator investigation 18 years ago i was driving out to the location in Bethpage, long island thinking you know what if nobody shows up what if i've just wasted tens of thousands of dollars of the network's money and with that my producer lynn keller calls us where the hell are you we've got 40 we've got two guys ready to show up in 45 minutes and over the next two and a half days, we had 17 guys come to that house looking to have sex with a child. It was mind-boggling. But, yeah, we don't, we don't talk about you know, the times we miss, but, but you know, I've been very blessed to, to have a couple of things in my career. And, and one of the most important is um, good sources and a trust that I've built with people involved in the intelligence law enforcement community you know, for a lot of years. And the guy you had a beer with in Detroit in 1993 suddenly becomes the number two guy at a federal agency in in 2007, you know, and he's going to help you because everybody wants the truth out. Everybody wants to solve a crime. Everybody wants credit for their hard work. So there's an interest in getting this out there. Uh, unless it's the guy you're investigating <laughs> That's yeah. <a> different story, <laughs> and there's a, a, little, a little more challenging, but you know, I've, and I've been blessed with honestly with good mentors and bosses along the way. You know, I came from local news in Detroit and walked into NBC never having done a long form television news magazine piece in my life. And the people there, Jeff Zucker was my first boss, my first executive producer there at the time and, and Beth O'Connell and a lot of other people, Paul Greenberg, who said, all right, we got this guy, what are we gonna do with him? And there was a, a steep curve there to figure out how to do this kind of reporting in a way that made it compelling and gave it a narrative that people would and could follow. And you know, some of it's luck, some of it's you know, just hard work and, 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 and having that competitive spirit and gene that makes you wanna win. Um, and, and, you know, for whatever combination of reasons, it's what I was good at. And that's why I always had it in me to go compete. You know, I just hate to lose on the, I don't mind losing in a golf game. Uh, I don't mind if somebody better than me beats me on the tennis court or can ski down a hill faster. But um, you know, when it comes to business, that's, you know, I, I don't like to get beat.
0: Nobody does. Um, it, I want to go back to, to catch a predator, but as an amateur investigator myself, <laughs> and it, it, it comes to, did you ever find things that the actual law enforcement missed and have gone to them? And I know, again, being an amateur criminologist, like I'm watching this this uh, Idaho story, and I feel like there's things they're holding back so that they don't scare off who they're investigating. Have you been in that situation where you have to make the – like where you go to the, the authorities and say – this is my gut and they say, you can't report on this? Or I mean, how do you make that decision? Because so well, much with dealing with the PIOs is what they release and what they intentionally hold back.
1: Right, if your only information is, and no disrespect to PIOs because we deal with them all the time in terms of setting up these projects, whether it's a, a predator shoot or something else, and, and the good ones are extraordinarily helpful and understand the value of you know what I can bring to an operation. But if you're relying solely on that, or you don't have an element of trust that goes with that PIO that goes beyond um, the normal reporter PIO relationship, then then you're not gonna you're not gonna do your job well. And so it's a combination of of, of Having good sources and having the trust and respect of a PIO who is going to let you go a little further into it. But in terms of finding information, yeah, I mean, there have been times that I've come across stuff um, that has been helpful to law enforcement. I've got a case right now, uh, a documentary we're doing for True Blue, the Facebook Fiend. You know, we've seen the Tinder Swindler. Well, this is a guy who is going on social media and identifying young women, vulnerable young women, developing relationships with them online, bilking them for money, going to see them and committing very uh, aggressive, uh, well, sexual assaults and, and physical assaults and theft. And the women had a bit of a distrust towards law enforcement, ultimately came to me, and I facilitated in some ways, their connections with law enforcement. And the interviews. And now we have criminal charges against this person and he'll get arrested and be held accountable in a number of cases. And it could end up being a larger federal case, a man case, because this activity has been going on so long and he's gotten away with it. He flew under the radar. But again, that's the beauty of a a crime streaming network that you own and control or partially own and control because those women came to me. I turned this around. It's almost ready to go on True Blue and if I had done this through a traditional stream or traditional network, you know, I'd be three months into a 12-month process of trying to get it on television. Well, you and it, it, it takes too long. It, it, we've cut out the middleman. We, we've, we've, what we've done with True Blue is, you know, apply the same enterprising techniques we use in reporting to the distribution of that content. And I, I just, I, to me, for a guy like me, in, you know, at my stage of the game, I think that's, that's absolutely the future of this
0: well you've you've been involved in and that takes us back to catch a to catch a predator really fast in understanding the power of the internet. and that obviously is draws a through line to true blue long before everybody sort of caught on just how dangerous it is. How did again, how did you sell that? like there's this thing, and people are stalking these young women, and this is what's happening, and we catch them through setting them up. Oh, online. I mean, it's it's it was a process and then convincing law enforcement to be there were a lot of moving pieces.
1: Oh, yeah. No, it's 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 a a busy, busy shoot, as you can imagine. (laughs) There's a lot going on. And you you got to have
0: guys out back waiting to catch them and someone to take them and book them.
1: Well, it's evolved. You know, when when I first pitched the story, I didn't think it was going to become a franchise or an iconic part of, you know, social media. I thought it was an interesting story and I'd been following it for some time, but had I pitched it saying that, you know, I want to interview some parents of victims and we have video of clickety clackety on the keyboard. You know, that's a, that's a three minute spot. But when I found out about uh, perverted justice, the online watchdog group and we approached them to work with us perverted justice at the time was uh, they had contributors posing as kids online. And if they were approached first by an adult and there was a, uh, sexual liaison set up, they would post their identities on their website. And that was kind of it. And some local uh, news stations had chased around and done a little bit on that. And, and I thought if we could combine their ability to be decoys in chat rooms with our ability to wire a house with cameras and microphones, it could be quite compelling. And so we did it 18 years ago. And we didn't do it with law enforcement the first time because honestly, we didn't know what was going to happen. So, you know, as I mentioned, we did that first investigation. I had security, you know, and and we took the knives out of the kitchen and we thought we were being very careful. But, you know, 17 guys in two and a half days surfaced, including a New York City firefighter. But most of them left and never faced prosecution. The firefighter did. We did it a second time and um, more guys showed up. And in that case, many more were prosecuted. That was the, that was the investigation we did in D.C. With, uh, where a rabbi showed up and we had a, 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 a military guy and, and professionals, a guy walked in naked, all, all kinds of you know, different, different things <laughs> I'd never encountered before. But in terms of pitching it, you know, they, they bought into it right away at NBC as a segment on Dateline. And then we did it and it kind of sat for a while and we we're in a, in a editorial meeting, and um, uh, my boss said to me, "I don't know how to promote this." I said, "What do you mean?" And I was getting frustrated because I knew what this material was. I said, "What do you mean you don't know how to promote this?" And there was obviously it was you know it, it was aggressive stuff what we what we had captured. I said, "Here's how you promote it." There's a guy standing at your back door who wants to have sex with your daughter. Tonight we're going to show you how to make sure he doesn't get in your house and that happens. And I use more colorful aggressive language than that. And the people in the room looked around aghast and said, "Hansen's finally lost his mind acting like this at a meeting. But you know, a month later it was on TV and it had, you know, the predictable reaction. By the third investigation, it became clear that. In order to be socially responsible, we had to have some sort of collaboration with law enforcement. I mean, and, and from a television production standpoint, it was unfulfilling to see these guys, you know, leave and and, and face no justice. Um, so that's when we did the third investigation out in California with Riverside County Sheriff's Department. And, you know, 51 guys showed up and 51 guys were arrested. And that became the template. It's evolved. Yes. Over the years, because. You know, different law enforcement agencies have different, you know, needs and tactics. And so we, you know, we, we kind of tailor our investigation to work with each one. Sometimes, for instance, in Polk County, Florida, um, the predator was subdued. And then I got a chance to talk to him in detail, which made for some very, very intense conversations. The latest uh, episode of that is up on True Blue right now. And um, it, it's almost like a Silence of the Lambs, you know, session where this guy Tops out to me his desires and how he got to this point. I mean, he's got this giggle and he's obviously a fan. He's seen the shows and, and um, uh, you know, seen my appearances in other shows as well. And and he just gives it all up. And it's a fascinating look. And, and still, in other cases, with other law enforcement agencies, I get a chance to do what I do first and, and later there's an arrest. So, but we adapt it. It's all very compelling. It's all very important. And I think at the end of the day, it continues to raise awareness and create a dialogue that it's important to keep people from becoming victims.
0: I was gonna say, you, were you prepared at all?
1: Never. No. No, I'm for no. what
0: it, that it made you personally part of the, 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 the pop culture zygots. I mean, and I remember what you're saying, where people were like, you're Chris Hansen. It's like, <laughs> you shouldn't, you know, did anyone want to take it? was like a step before them going, dude, can we have a selfie? And you want to say, oh, yeah, you are in some deep shit. But yeah,
1: no, no. that, And it still happens. But let's say we had in the most recent investigation, just a month and a half ago, we had people in the chat room saying, is this a Chris Hansen deal? (laughs) And the decoy says, well, who's that? You know, it's, oh, he's the dude on TV who catches, you know, predators or guys who try to have sex with kids. And they erase it from their mind and they show up. And then not only, you know, years ago, when somebody would recognize me, they try to bolt. We had a guy in Fairfield, Connecticut, who actually I had met on the commuter train between Connecticut and New York City, who recognized me, said, oh, Chris, no, it's not what it looks like, and ran. Now, they're more likely to sit and talk because this is the part of the show where I talked to Chris Hansen. Now He may be handcuffed on the floor, whining about his back, or he may be Sitting standing across the table from me, or sitting across the the kitchen counter from me, but more often than not, they actually talk to me, and in great detail. And and when they say, "I knew who you were," I said, "Well, how did you know?" Well, I see you. I, I listened to your podcast, uh, Predators I've Caught, and and I saw you on you know somebody else's show, and and you know Barstool or you know Melissa Rivers or whatever. And and it, it just it stuns me, but it speaks to how these guys feel that they'll never get caught, right? In the beginning, we merely had decoys in chat rooms on AOL and Yahoo, and it was a very concentrated pool of predators. Now, with hundreds if not thousands of social media platforms, to the extent that I can't even keep up with them, the activity is much more diffuse, but it is much more prevalent. The ubiquitous nature of the internet doesn't even allow us to quantify it except for the fact that during the pandemic, the height of the pandemic, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children will tell you that the incidence of adults inappropriately approaching children and transmitting inappropriate material to children shot up like 900%. So it's not going away. And it's it's just a part of what we do, you know, reporting wise, but I, I maintain that it's, it's, it's really important work to keep doing it. I mean, I joke with my partner at True Blue, Sean Reck, that it'd be so nice to, you know, go to Italy and do a cooking show at some point in our careers. But I don't I don't see that like Stanley Tucci, he's got a great job. But I, I just don't see that happening for Chris Hansen anytime soon.
0: I say like like with the Real Housewives, the reunion show from some oh, yeah. of the guys you from some of the guys you caught.
1: Yeah, that'd be great. You know, it's 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 uh, you know, I always say to people when when my Kids were in high school. You know, they went to high school with kids whose dads did a lot of important, cool stuff. There were athletes, and there are Wall Street titans and shipbuilders and all that. So, to having a dad on TV wasn't necessarily a big deal. But when South Park did the Chris Hansen Predator parody, suddenly I was the cool dad for at least a couple of weeks. There, you know.
0: Well, and you and they got you on uh, Family Guy too.
1: I think Family Guy. I think we're on our third appearance now. Somebody, I saw it the other day. It's it's I, I, look, I th- none of that even if it's making fun of it or poking fun at me, I'm fine with all that. I get it. And to me, it merely brings more attention to a very important topic. So I, I'm very comfortable with all that.
0: How did How did True Blue start?
1: True Blue started with an idea of Sean Reck, who owns Transition Studio in Cleveland. He had done a number of documentaries, Murder in the Park that freed a wrongly convicted man. The White Boy Rick story, the teen drug dealer in Detroit Mm -hmm. who was sentenced to life in prison, finally got out. And I had covered the White Boy Rick story as a reporter in Detroit, had broken elements of it. So Sean had interviewed me for that documentary. It's on Netflix now, as a matter of fact. Um, And we got talking about projects and, you know, being able to strike out on our own. And he had done a streamer, the most successful streamer you've never heard of, American Gospel TV which has become a giant success in its niche world. And he had the template down and he called me and said, Hey, would you come to Cleveland and and talk about this? I said, absolutely. And he pitched this and it became crystal clear to me as it has to others in, in, in my end of the business that, that this is the way to go. I mean, Dan Abrams is doing something very similar with law and crime, very successfully more of a courtroom focus, but, but, and he and I have a lot of respect for him and we we cross paths and have some collaborations um but but it, it became clear to me that that's the that that's the future of what I do And so we launched it um, on Thanksgiving day you know it's kind of a gradual rollout but we had some new predator investigations and some other things and then for true crime nation which will premiere I think in a, in less than a week also it's on a news Truth. magazine. Mm-hmm. yeah on true on crime nation is on true blue right. yeah so okay. people go to watch true blue T-R-U-B-L-U.com and and uh they can subscribe this app it's on roku it's every place you get a streamer and um you know but we also on there have interviews uh that will be part of stories on true crime nation but we're going to put them on, on true blue so last friday i'm with john ramsey talking about the case of John Bonet on the 26th anniversary and what's happening there and why the DNA isn't being touched. We have the, the hero from the Q club shooting. We have you know people who will talk to me uh, and, and, and give me an interview that you won't see uh, very many other places, if anywhere else. And we'll get into the Idaho um, murders very soon, this week or next week and, and, and a number of other stories. So it, it's, it's very engaging for me to be able to pursue not only the longer-term investigative sting type of shows we do, but all the other interviews that that uh, that I I just am fascinated by doing, that we can turn around and put them on True Blue, and people have access virtually immediately.
0: And I'm not using the word serialize in a disparaging way. It also allows you in real time to almost serialize these. Uh, Investigations, which then gives a really fascinating story arc. It forces you to tune in again next week.
1: Oh yeah, because, because you know every week you know there, there's there's more material, and not just I, I mean, I, and I'm not dismissing the predator investigations because that's you know a large part of what no, people expect out of that's, me.
0: that's the Chris Hansen brand, right? Right, and, and but
1: so are these interviews, right? Is I guess what I'm getting at because because I, I have a I think at least in my own mind I have a way of doing these things that's unique and and. And I have access that other people don't have. And, you know, because I'm at CrimeCon and because I'm, you know, have relationships with, you know, law enforcement around the world, um, people will come on and talk to me. And, and, you know, technology allows us just like our conversation today, Melissa, you know, I can do that with a guy in a hospital bed who miraculously survived. after being shot nine times in, in the club. And to hear his compelling story is quite something. And they'll pick up the phone when I call or when right. one of my producers calls. So it's, it's access, really. And you know that. Yeah. You know, you operate the same way.
0: It's, it, it is fascinating, though, how for those of us who have been in the media business for so many years. To be able to understand the arc of where it's going and how to adapt storytelling, which is really what you do. In these new forms? It, it, did it feel like a new creative challenge almost in a way? Oh, yeah. Or did it feel no, like a throwback to doing actual network TV where you've got to get the storytelling for Tom Brokaw on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday and be able to continue the arc? Sorry, that is a very long, stupid question. No, I it's think not. You understand. At all. No, it, I think you understand no, what I, I I'm I trying Look, to ask. No, no,
1: no, no, no. I know exactly what you're talking about. And, and the beauty of this is we don't have to make it fit into 42 minutes or 24 minutes. Or I remember doing a piece for Nightly News that was a, a piece of a larger story we did for Dateline, and it had to be 403 because otherwise it would be the longest piece of our Nightly News and somebody's ego was gonna be out of shape. You know, We don't have that here because it doesn't matter whether the piece is 16 minutes, 18 minutes, or an hour and 18 minutes, it's streaming. Now, ultimately for True Crime Nation, you know, we may spin off a syndicated version and that will have to follow whatever, 28 minutes or 42 minutes, whatever the rule is to put ads in it. But we don't have to adhere to that. And when I get interested in something and I want to dig into it, uh, I can either go there or be hooked up remotely and, and do the interview and do the story. And we can have multiple versions of this. We can have an interview with John Ramsey that is very telling, even 26 years after this crime. And people can get the entire interview on True Blue and see the, the entire investigative piece on True Crime Nation within True Blue. So there, there are a lot of options here. And then we feed, you know, we've got a pretty sizable social media footprint, as you mentioned before, because of the early work with Predator going back to 2004. Um, you know, we can contact a lot of people. We can, we can, you know, bring a lot of people into the tent. And to me, that's very fulfilling. I had a, you know, I was talking to my 28 year old son, who's the reporter for the TV station in uh, one of the stations in Orlando. He said, I find it somewhat ironic that my 63 year old father is on the cutting edge of <laughs> new media, <laughs> and I'm slugging it on the streets of Orlando <laughs> with a traditional camera. I said, look, I said, you know, you talk about traditional, I, you know, that's that's how I got started. You, you know, it all you, you, you figured it out. It's it's a it's a it's a fast paced, changing. Uh, business. And, uh, you know, if you've got the fire in your ability to go do it, it's, it's a wonderful way to make a living. And, and it's a great way to educate people. And at the end of the day, you know, my whole philosophy on this Melissa, is to take people on a journey of discovery where they see things they wouldn't normally see, they hear things they wouldn't normally hear. And we do it in a compelling way, getting in the minds of criminals, hearing the voice of victims. And, you know, at the end of the day, if you can do all that, and make it entertaining, sometimes even humorous, mm-hmm which is shocking to say, but, you know, you have to tip your hat to the humorous moments that take place in these predator investigations. I think that you can educate people and keep them from becoming victims or that's the hope anyway.
0: And now you've pivoted to a one man show. Have a seat.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we haven't uh, done that yet, that, that's, but that's, Oh, you is... remind me? I've got a lot of work to do on that. You know?
0: <laughs> glad, I could, glad I could throw up that flag.
1: I've got a rehearsal in a week. I wait, get get how
0: that you're like, oh, well, I need a bigger challenge, so I'm going to now do a one-man show. And d- what is the one-man show? Is it your history? Is there going to be a QA? and a
1: It's a multimedia show that we're going to uh, do for three nights in Las Vegas at the South Point in a theater, and it's going to be have a seat so it's multimedia with all kinds of you know video clips and presentations from all the investigations there's some new stuff that people haven't seen before it's you know uh, interactive with the audience and it's it, it, it it's all of that and uh, you know i i really never gave it much thought i mean i've done some public speaking obviously over the years and everything from commencements to you know i do a fair amount of uh, presentations and speeches when they' different child advocacy organizations have fundraising events, Nick you know all those. Uh, so I'm, I'm pretty comfortable doing it, but the, but we were approached to do this and it seemed to me you know that it might be fun and and, and uh, intellectually engaging. Mm-hmm for both me and the audience to do it, you know, Anderson and Andy did it. And and I thought that that was very cool to do. And, and, you know, you've done a fair amount of this and you've watched your, your mom do it. And I I, will give it a try. And if it ends up being a three night run in Las Vegas, that's great. If it ends up being something that we take on the road, you know, 10 or 12 times a year, I think, I think it'd be a lot of fun. Um, So we'll see, but we're, we're working hard on it. And I've got a rehearsal, I think uh, a week from a week from today. Gosh, I better, better get going on that. I was just
0: like, glad I could remind you. <laughs> How do you not take your work home?
1: Well, it's interesting because it's it's sort of a full-time job, you know, and, you know, I used to try to compartmentalize and say, okay, this is the time when, you know, when the kids are young and, and, you know, focus on that and shut it down. And now it's kind of just like this running stream. It, it's changed and it sort of parallels, you know, social media, which, Constantly goes and you can you can mute it for a little bit or do that, but I'll I, I, I'm pretty good at saying okay this goes over here in my workspace and now I'm going to go ski down a hill or now I'm going to go out to dinner with Gabrielle or now you know one of the kids has an event or you know my one of the my sons is getting married in April and we're going to focus on that now and I, I, I haven't always done it in the best way I probably always haven't handled it you know the best I could. But I, I'm at a stage in life now where where I think I've got it pretty much figured out. You know, I'm 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 comfortable with it all. Um, I don't hide from it. I, you know, it, it's 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 what I do. It's part of my identity. I've accepted the 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 Mantle. social media iconic status of it, and and, and and I'm I'm just at a very comfortable stage in life, and so it doesn't. It, I don't get rattled by it. You know, I, I can make fun of it. I can know when to not talk about it. I think, for the most part, <laughs> and not being appropriate. And and I know when to when to share it when people are curious about it. So, and I've got an I've got multiple levels of, of uh, uh, multiple platforms as outlets. So I, I feel fulfilled that I that I share it and get it out of my system. So if I want to chill and watch Yellowstone and um, um, Tulsa King, I can I can turn it off and enjoy stuff like that.
0: Uh, I would be remiss if I did not ask because you made some not so great headlines uh, in the past few years. How did it feel to be on the other side of the lens? Because that had to be a, a little disconcerting. I know it's been disconcerting for me when yeah, I'm well, you on the other I- side.
1: Right. And, and, and as you know, so much of it gets blown out of proportion. You can have a, a minor business issue right, that created by somebody, not you, but you had to fix it, but you fix it. And there's a, I suppose, in some of the tabloid parts of our world, there's a certain amount of, oh, yeah, he's going after these guys. And, and now he had an issue. And, and, you know, that's that's part of playing it in the big leagues, you know, and, and you, you try to live your life at a level where, you know, you don't get picked at. And and I figured that out too. Um,
0: it's hard. You're, it's a, you're it's- he- you,
1: but you're held, it's easier for me, you know, at, at, at 63 than it was at 43, you know, because you, you just, you know it and you, you know, you know that everybody's watching and all right, that's fine. That's, that's part of the price I pay for doing what I do. That's part of the price I pay for being out there and, and being a public figure and, and you are held to a different standard. And so You know, when you get your arms around that and you realize that you're really not allowed to make a mistake in your personal life and and you you make sure you surround yourself with people who are going to, you know, make sure that doesn't happen and you choose very wisely or you become very wise about choosing who's around you and who is using your name, brand and image. One hundred. You can get clipped for something unfairly and people can write and do and say things about you that aren't true based upon a little colorful smidgen someplace and, and, and that'll happen. So yeah, it was a lesson I could have done without it, but it makes you better, smarter and, and, uh, and, and wiser about your choices and certainly about who you have in your inner circle.
0: Oh, 100%. I actually, at one point found that a friend was uh, telling stories.
1: Yeah. And that's not a good friend to have.
0: No, but you learn the hard way.
1: You do, and 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 look, I've I've had some of those lessons, and and I've you know I try to share those openly and honestly with my kids, and 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 say, look, you know, you you can avoid this, uh, for the most part, if you just are ultra careful about who you're around and and, and how you do it, and, and and part of it's choosing the right partnerships in all levels of life, and and you know you, you've got to realize that the brand has value, that it's important, and if you tarnish it, then you're you know you're, you're wasting that energy in the, in the wrong area.
0: Now I want to plug everything because there's so much one more time. uh, We've got the podcast. Tell everyone again, where that is.
1: So the podcast is predators I've caught with Chris Hansen, where we go back over all the cases that I've gone through and I immerse myself in the material and we find out where the guy is today and what they've done or what they haven't done. And that's on every podcast platform you can find. That's almost like therapy for me because I get a chance to go back over those cases. It's very, very interesting. It's done well.
0: We have uh, not one, but two and many more to come shows on True Blue.
1: Correct. Which is a lot of really in-depth document. I mean, good, interesting crime related documentaries uh, in the works. I mean, shot ready to just be in editing right now that'll come out on True Blue including the Facebook fiend and this Tracy Hootsana con woman story. She victimized all kinds of people, including Jemana Kidd out in LA.
0: And that and, reminds uh, me of a question I wanted to ask. Yes. How does it feel being on the pseudo executive side, getting to decide what stories are going to be told?
1: Well, it's liberating, you know, it's, it's, you know, there's still a process an editorial process. I still need to get approval, but I get, you Know 50% saying what gets approved, so I, I mean, I don't get turned down a lot at pitch meetings, so, sort of that way. so, so it's absolutely liberating, it, it is, and it um, it's it's it, it, it could be overwhelming because you know, we're, we're growing the staff, uh, you know, in in a way, it's a little bit like a startup, I suppose. But I've you know, and some people were there who are good, and I brought um, Kelly McClure over who, with whom I worked at Crime Watch Daily, and she's she's great, Sean Reck is great. Um, you know, everybody pitches in here and, and, you know, we're expanding quickly and, and, um, but, it, but yeah, to pick and choose and to prioritize, absolutely liberated. And to do it quickly. I mean, yeah, the, the, you know, the, the bureaucracy of it, it just stymies the flow. Uh, And I had this conversation with Dan Abrams and and his people, and they they just, they, you know, they're doing the same thing over there, as I mentioned, and quickly turning these things around and, and giving people directly, you know, the, the content that they want. It's, it is truly a gift, honestly.
0: Oh yeah. And, and nothing kills creativity like spending too long in the development process. God, (laughs) mind-numbing.
1: I mean, you know, I mean, I, I, don't have to explain it, you get it, but it just, it's, 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 this is great. I mean, it's, it's exactly what I should be doing and uh, doing the way we're doing it. And in the, in the, in the time frame that we're doing it. It's, and how it's can we
0: find true blue,
1: true blue, you can go to watch dot for all the details, T R U B L U. And I'll show you how to subscribe. There's an app. It's on Roku. It's, you know, any place that you get any other streaming service and it's, it's up, it's out there. You can get it,
0: and the thing I'm personally most excited about is your one man show in Vegas. <laughs> have well, a I guess s- what?
1: I'll, I'll comp you. It. Thank I'll you. Say, you. House free. seats.
0: Have a seat. Oh, now, is there do. most importantly, is there going to be swag with that? Can we buy a have a seat? I'm Chris Hansen. Oh yeah. T-shirt.
1: Yeah, I'll send you something. I need that. Yeah. Well, I'm good.
0: Chris Hansen, I am so excited to have talked to you. I am obviously a super fan, and. You are beyond fascinating. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you for having me and a pleasure. And love to love to come back anytime.
0: A Media Production.